0: Okay, so today's talk is going to be about contentment And so here's a quote to start us off Health is the greatest possession, contentment is the greatest wealth Trustworthiness is the greatest relation, and nirvana is the greatest happiness So today's talk is on specifically contentment and how it relates to the Buddha's teaching. I was asked about a week ago to give a talk on this subject, so here we are. Thank you all for coming. Good to see you on this lovely Sunday afternoon. The great thing about Second Life is it never rains unless you want it to we can always make use of this wonderful always-burning campfire so what does contentment have to do with the Buddhist teaching? how does contentment play a part in, in Buddhism? I was asked to talk about this and so I had to do a little bit of research But what i know about contentment in in the buddhist teaching leads me to understand that there are three kinds of contentment and each one of these three plays a different role in buddhism in the buddhist teaching The first type of, a type of contentment to get it out of the way is the type of contentment that the Buddha taught against. So you read in the Buddha's teaching that the Buddha taught if you want to be a great being, if you're striving for, for true greatness, the Buddha said you have to be full of discontent. And he taught against a certain type of contentment, and so this type of contentment—it's—it's it's important to talk about because it often pops, it's, rears its head uh, both in the world and and in in spirituality as well. This is a contentment with one's self I've I've often said it's a mark of a, a High mind That they're constantly working to improve themselves I would say it's a mark that someone is It's a sign that someone is is spiritually developed that they're tr- that they are constantly trying to develop themselves. That the undeveloped person is known by their lack of interest in developing themselves. Their feeling that everything's fine the way it is. That there's no need to develop those things that wise people encourage us to develop, and there's no need to. Do away with those things that wise people encourage us to do away with. Everyone can hear me here. Okay, that's a yes. If you can't hear me, it's probably because you don't have voice on either that, or you don't have have. uh, If you can't hear me, (laughs) this is useless. Um, Can someone? Yeah, can someone explain? the reason why you can't hear me doesn't do much good to to speak to you and tell you why you can't hear me okay so it's a mark of of someone who is developing that they are interested in 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 developing themselves, obviously um, and so it's it's one one easy way to distinguish between spiritual people and people who are are not interested in spirituality. It's also sort of a way of reassuring ourselves that even when it when our our mental development is progressing with difficulty that uh, we should be encouraged by the fact that we're trying and effort in the Buddha's teaching is um, really a very core value that failure in the meditation is really only possible when one when one ceases to practice or ceases to practice correctly that if you, if, when you stop trying, or when you start putting out effort in another direction, in, in a way, in a, in a way that is antithetical to the path, or or give up your effort, that's the only way you can really fail. As long as you're trying, striving, you know, you're watching the breath, watching the stomach when it rises and falls, for example. But you find you you can't focus on it. You try and you try, and it's it's easy to become to become frustrated and uh, disheartened. But we shouldn't we shouldn't become um, discouraged just because we're not quote unquote getting anywhere. Our our effort is. our our discontent and our intention to improve ourselves, self-improvement, is a sign of Buddhism and um, so in one way this distinguishes spiritual people between between spiritual people and people who are content with being a mediocre sort of person. It also distinguishes between two types of spiritual people. Uh, The type of person, the type of spiritual person who is content with their level of spirituality and um, often become content with uh, simple states of bliss or, or, or happiness or, or sort of pseudo spirituality never challenging one's views and beliefs practicing only as it's comfortable so you see often people when they sit in meditation they'll they'll sit against the wall or they'll sit in a chair or they'll sit on a bench or so on and always always striving to to make the meditation pleasurable and at any time when it's not pleasurable, one, one either stops practicing or adjusts one's practice. These are the kind of people who, when they're sitting in meditation, need everybody to be quiet. I had a man asking me what I thought about using earplugs in meditation. And um, I don't think... Um, I I think it should be pretty clear that that earplugs are 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 a sign that uh, you have some sort of attachment to the sound. So this this sort of contentment is is one that we want to try to avoid resting on our laurels per se. Um, If if you're enlightened and you have no defilements left then I think think this, this is the only time one should become uh, content with one's spiritual development, but as long as we know that in ourselves we still have m- more work to do, we should set ourselves on doing that work so this this is the first sense that that we might we might miss this in thinking that the Buddha taught us to be content and so you know don't worry, don't try don't don't do anything you know practicing meditation is too much work going on meditation treats is is just uh, torturing yourself, you should just live your life. Um, peacefully and somehow spiritually. The type of, of contentment that the Buddha did teach and encourage uh, can be broken up into two types. So there are two other types of contentment that the Buddha did encourage. And the first type is is what he, he generally referred to as contentment itself and the word he uses is santuti which means um, being and content, contentment. The when the Buddha used the word contentment, he most often was referring to um, the conceptual objects of our our reality. So in Buddhism, we separate reality into two parts: the conceptual and the ultimate. Ultimate reality is the the building blocks of reality. The, just like in physical reality, in physics, they talk about um, you know, what are the building blocks, the atoms, and then they had atoms and suddenly there were subatomic particles and so on and they're still not sure what is the essence of the physical in, in the scientific community. But in, in Buddhism we have a um, a very good understanding of what are the essential building blocks. So in the physical we're talking about the four elements and these are simply the four aspects of matter as it's experienced matter can be experienced as, uh, as hot or cold it can be experienced as um, hard or soft and it can be experienced as uh, tense or flaccid the, the mental side of experience is, is the awareness of the physical or the awareness of an object so when we see something and we know that we're seeing, when we hear something and we know that we're hearing, this is the ultimate rea- reality. Everything else is conceptual. The chair that you're sitting in is con- conceptual. The word "chair" arises in your mind. You only know that it's a chair uh, once you process the experience in your mind. So without the without the the processing in the mind, there's simply the the feelings that arise from touching the chair. And when you see it, there's a, a seeing in the same way that the seats that, that some of us are sitting on here in, in the virtual reality are only conceptual so the, the seats in second life that we're seeing are, are seats because we process the sight um, the seats that we're sitting on in real life are conceptual, they're only seats because we process the feeling or the sight or so on, but at any rate it's still a concept, our body is a concept and because the 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 reality is the experience. This is uh, according to the Buddha. So the first type of contentment is talking about conceptual contentment, contentment with things, contentment with objects. This is this is one of those teachings that is not not exactly core. So it's not a, a theoretical teaching. It's a it's a practical teaching for everyday life, and. For most of us it's it's a very important teaching one of the one of the um, criticisms of, of many types of Buddhism modern Buddhism is that it often overlooks practical but conceptual conventional teachings uh, like being content with with possessions being content with the things that you own with your belongings um, and often though people will dive right into the theoretical and talking about you know ultimate reality and, and and so on. And not that this isn't the most important, but we have so many delusions and and we're so attached to the conceptual reality that it's like overlooking a very important part of the path, which is going to be our relationship with those things that we we cling to, our relationship with those thing, those conceptual objects that we interact with so on a, on a practical level it's very important that we come to terms with our our needs our materialistic um desires not being content with with our our clothes the clothes that we wear the buddha said you wear, you use clothing to protect the body to cover up the um the parts of the body that uh, that are best left covered you you use food simply for um, doing away with uh, hunger, to 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 bring energy to the mind, to the body. You use shelter simply to guard from the elements, and medicines to guard guard off sickness. And the Buddha said these are the four. these are the four requisites of a human being, these four things are what we, we all cannot do without. But for most of us that's not nearly enough especially in modern times we're, we're incredibly materialistic so we are always needing more and we we become um, slaves actually of our belongings uh, and of our addictions, that we always need more and more and as a result our minds are not focused on the here and the now, we're not content with this state of reality, we need another state where there's this object or that object where we can see this thing or hear that thing or feel this or smell that or taste this or or even simply just conceive of the fact that we own this and own that and we have so many belongings this and that, delicious food, beautiful clothes um, you know, games and toys and possessions of all sorts and because our mind is constantly thinking about getting more and more and more and, and is really addicted to the pleasure that comes from getting what we want it's very difficult for us to find contentment it's very difficult for us to stay in, 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 in the present reality to accept reality for what it is because we're so used to being able to uh, segment, to categorize reality, or to compartmentalize reality, we we don't have to accept everything. We don't have to accept reality for what it is. Because when it's not the way we like, we have this idea that we can change it, that we can control it, and so we we set ourselves on 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 quite an imbalanced state, Im- imbalanced path, and and are, are always unfulfilled, always unsatisfied, and always in a state of discontent and at any time that we don't get what we want, we crash the, the perpetual building up and building up of, of greater states of attachment eventually snowballs leads and leads us to a great disappointment when we can't get what we want when, we, when we're unable to, to compartmentalize reality any further So I think this is um perhaps one way of 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 seeing seeing the benefits of meditation practice or one one use good use that comes that is um, that the meditation practice has in our lives is in looking at our desires for things when we want something when we need something, looking at our possessions and coming to see that the important truth that these are just conceptual that we say i own this and i own that and to realize that that this entire sentence is is every word of it is false the i the own this i is not true it's not it's not mine the, even even our own self is just a conglomeration of of mind and body and states arising and ceasing most of which are very far out of our control our states of emotion, our our wants and our needs we find that we really can't control them as we think we do the own is not true, we can't can't control things and, and say let it always be like this, we can't even control the happiness that comes from the object, because after a while we get bored of our possessions and we need more, or we need the next thing, the newest thing and the this, or the, the word this, the, the identification of the thing as an object is also not a part of reality because the object itself is either seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, or thinking when we practice meditation we're able to to address this issue of of materialism of being attached to Things and needing more and not being content, the Buddha said it's a mark of a noble person. It's the um, the lineage, which the word wangsa, I believe, it means the it's the 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 tradition, I guess, of the of the noble ones, to be content with whatever robes or whatever clothes, whatever food. Whatever shelter, whatever medicines they get, to be content with these things is is the way of the noble ones. It's a mark of nobility, or or you know, noble in, in the Buddhist sense in terms of being enlightened. So this is some something that's very important. Something we should always be looking at in our lives. You know, it's easy to think we're practicing meditation, and suddenly you know we're accumulating and accumulating and always getting more and more and new and 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 so on. It's very difficult to. Um, to control it's very easy to rationalize why we need more and more and this and that it's very difficult to be without but the the most important form of contentment is not actually called contentment in, in the Buddha's teaching as far as I've found um, but to me it's the most important type of contentment and it's what is really being talked about when when, when the Buddha talks about uh, contentment with robes with clothes and, and food and so on He's really talking about contentment with reality as it is, contentment with uh, experience a- as it is, being being totally in tune with reality to the point that nothing faces you, and it's it's not conto- it's not called contentment. I think because the word contentment it can be quite misleading in this sense. Um, It it can mean it it can be used to it can slip into uh, enjoyment. So we say you know I'm you know enjoying smelling the flowers you know stopping and smelling the flowers and just enjoying life, being content with my life. This isn't what is meant here. What is meant here is contentment with every experience in terms of not being. Um, not being discontent, not being drawn into a judgment about reality, not being drawn into a need, and in this sense, there are two kinds of dis- of discontent: discontent based on anger and discontent based on greed. Uh, you could even say third uh, discontent based on delusion, if we want to go, so, go go there as well. But what we what we notice most in our lives is is these two, discontentment based on anger and discontentment based on greed that we'll be sitting in meditation, even just sitting here listening to a talk and it's very difficult to keep the mind content simply to listen, simply to be here and now content with what I'm saying, content with the feelings going on in your body content with the things around you, content with the thoughts in your mind there's so many things that make us angry and upset, worried, afraid, bored, and our our ordinary way of looking at this is to immediately need to change, need to alter our reality, reality to to suit our our defilement, to suit our our defiled state of mind, to suit our anger, our dislike. When we don't like something, we should get rid of it, we should remove it. This is the way we look at things, not just in terms of our our innate sense, but also in terms of our views, our idea of what is right. We think that it's right that when you feel pain, you should adjust, you should move, you should do whatever necessary to get rid of the pain. This is one kind of discontent that is, is antithetical to the Buddhist teaching, and it's, it's uh, the purpose of the meditation practice, to remove this sort of discontent rather than trying to change the pain, to change the experience we change the way we look at the experience so we, we, we simply see it for what it is and when we're discontent or when we're uh, in pain or, or you know, maybe too hot, too cold, when we're hungry, when there's loud noises or, or whatever when we're thinking about bad things that we simply see it for what it is and the word bad disappears so we're no longer thinking about bad things or feeling bad feelings we're just thinking or feeling or seeing or hearing or smelling or tasting and all of our experience of reality is is one of contentment in the sense of simply seeing it for what it is not discontent in terms of um, needing, needing it to be different the other form of discontent is based on, on desire It's not that there's anything wrong with our present state of being here It's that we want something more Or we we begin thinking about something and it makes us want it It makes us desire to do this or do that To obtain this or obtain that experience And I I would say from from the practice looking at these two the really the only the, the only way to deal with them adequately is through meditation is through breaking them up into their their building blocks the pieces and seeing that actually we're not talking about a an entity or a, a single experience we're talking about several different experiences all jumbled up into one. First, there's the experience of the object then there's the feeling, the, 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 the recognition of it as something um, good or something bad. Then there's the feeling that comes of happiness or pain. Then there's the liking it or the disliking it. Once there's the liking and the disliking it, there's the intention to do this and or to do that, to change the experience, to at- attain obtain something different or to remove something from our experience. And only then is there the acting out on it. And all of these can be broken up and separated from each other at any at any one time. When you see something, or or let's take an easy one, when you hear something. Suppose you're listening to what I'm saying and you really don't like it. Maybe I'm saying nasty things about. Um, or maybe what I'm saying just seems totally, um, in uh, opposed diametrically opposed to what you believe. Or suppose I start yelling at you and saying nasty things to you, or so on. Suppose someone comes into your room and starts, you know, complaining and so on. Right away you can say to yourself, hearing, hearing, remind yourself that it's just a sound. You can try that right now when I'm talking, you like it, you don't like it, it's not important. As a meditation exercise, simply when you hear my voice saying to yourself, Hearing, hearing, hearing. It's a great way to listen to Dhamma talks. People, you can even become enlightened this way. Listening to the Dhamma, realizing the truth at the same time. One teacher in, in Thailand, he would always say, best way to listen to a Dhamma talk. Just say hearing, hearing, hearing the whole time. Because that's really why we're teaching, is to encourage people to meditate. and if that doesn't work if if that's if you're not quick enough with that then when the feeling arises when you feel ha- happiness or pain you just focus on the happy ha- happy happy or or pain pain or or sad sad or whatever and again you don't let it build into uh, a real liking or disliking, and and the intention to change things. You simply, when you have pain in the body, for instance, knowing that it's pain, and just seeing it for what it is. And if you still, if you can't catch it there, then you can catch it at the liking or the disliking. Saying to yourself, liking, liking, or wanting, wanting, disliking, angry, upset, bored, scared, sad, so on. If you still can't catch it there then you can catch the intention you want to do this you want to obtain something you want to um, say something you want to chase someone away or or, uh, run away or so on and you can focus on that intention wanting wanting or intending intending in this sense not wanting as greed or as as desire but as an intention to do something If you still can't catch it there, you're in trouble because at that point you're going to go out and do something about it. But the amazing thing is, is when you focus on all of these things, you can see the problem with this this line of, of, uh, of reaction. You see how when you when you want things to be different than what they are, you your whole body is tense and your mind is in a state of 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 uh, upset, of turmoil. Even if it's if it's a desire and you feel happy and you really want something, you think, wow, this is going to make me happy. When you look at it, when you analyze it, you see that it's not so pleasurable at all, really. Your mind is in a state of, of, of clinging. You can really feel like you're clinging. It's as though you're grabbing something in your fist and, and, and holding tightly. That's how your mind feels at the moment when you want something. When you think you have to do something to obtain your pleasure, the object of your desires, even then you can see that it's not really pleasurable not, not to speak of, of, of anger when you want to hurt someone when you look at it you can see that this is not a wholesome state of mind it's not a, a, a proper state of mind And so this is how we really develop true contentment in Buddhism. Coming to separate things into their reality. When you see something, instead of being attached to it, wanting it, needing it, clinging to it, simply seeing it for what it is. If you're happy, you're happy. If you're unhappy, you're unhappy. Contentment in the sense of doing away with any need for things to be different. Any need for reality to be other than what it is. This is really the ultimate state, and it's 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 difficult. It's it's dangerous to say this in a sense, it, just to leave it at that, because it, it sounds as though you know don't do anything. Then being content with things as they are is you know as I said, Buddha taught us to be discontent. But it's it, the 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 key is it's not easy this is not the the ordinary nature of our minds we're working hard, striving to stop striving. We have to work in order that we don't have to do anything, in order that we no longer need to attain anything, to do away with our need to attain things. We're working hard to stop our minds from working so hard, in a sense as we practice as we develop the, the the meditation practice we find ourselves more and more content and so through through working in this way through developing ourselves we're able to experience all things and we no longer compartmentalize reality we no longer separate things into the bearable and the unbearable the acceptable and the unacceptable We're able to accept and react rationally and honestly and with wisdom to everything that arises. This is the the Buddha's teaching on contentment. So that was the Dhamma I would like to give today. And if there are any questions, I'm happy to take them. Otherwise, thanks everyone for coming.